everybody. Welcome to the Health Perspectives Podcast brought to you by Northeast Georgia Health System in beautiful Gainesville, Georgia. I'm your host, Marie Kruger, and today we are discussing advanced care planning. And this is a topic that affects everyone. And everyone should be aware of it because it's super important. And no matter where you are in your life, pay attention because this is going to be some great information. All right, let's start with some introductions. Hello. Hey, I'm Libby Donahue. I am manager of our advanced care planning team. Welcome, Libby. Hi, I'm Dr. Meredith Pickett. I'm one of the physicians on the inpatient palliative consult team here at Northeast Georgia Health System and the director of our hospice and palliative medicine uh, fellowship program, which begins in summer 23. Hey, Dr. Pickett. Welcome. Hey, Helen. Hi, I'm Helen Ransom. I'm the clinical ethicist. A fairly new position here at Northeast, but getting everything started with clinical ethics education. Oh, that's that's interesting. I want to hear more about that. I've never heard of that before, to be honest with you. That's pretty cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I like to start podcasts from the very beginning. So let's start with a uh, an introduction of what advanced care planning is and why it's important. Who wants to take that one? I can start with that okay. since I lead the advanced care planning team. Um, advanced care planning is a conversation. Basically, it's one of the most important conversations you can have with your family because it's about if you needed to advocate for me would you know how would you know what I want what's important to me it's a conversation about quality of life a lot of people tend to shy away from the conversation because we think of it as an end-of-life conversation and so there's a lot of hesitancy and that's natural nobody Mm -hmm. wants to think of the people that they love as dying but at the same time what makes this conversation one of the greatest gifts that you can give the people that you love is that it helps prepare them to advocate for what quality of life means to you. So when you're talking about who's going to be that person that might speak for me if I can't speak for myself, or how would they know what treatments I would want or I wouldn't want that, that do make a difference in my choices that represent my values and my preferences and my goals and my beliefs. When someone has to advocate for that, you give them the gift of knowing how to advocate for that. Right. Gosh, that, that's got to be so stressful if as a family member, when something unexpected happens... And to have that uh, weight off your shoulders because you're prepared, that is a huge gift. So real quick, I'm sorry, what when should it be discussed? Um, we recommend that everybody over 18 can have the legal document, which is um, the, the document that goes along with the conversation, which is an advanced directive for healthcare, where you get to name these choices. Um, we say everybody over 18 should have one because we think about this as, again, if we tie it to just end of life, we think, oh, only older people need to be having this conversation. But in reality, we all look at doing things that are better for our life, whether we're planning an exercise program or whether we're saving for retirement one day or whether we're, um, you know, thinking about what things better our lives this is something that better our lives and the reality is also that if you come spend a day in any er at any hospital you will see people there that weren't intending to be there Mm -hmm. nobody expects to go to the er that day so the same way we plan for insurance in our lives for our car or our home or something not wanting bad things to happen but you know inevitably things can happen this is something that we say everybody over 18 should have this conversation because we never know when something could happen and someone might need to advocate for us. 
Libby, I love the way that you talk about this being a conversation, because I think everybody in the free world thinks about this document and they'll say when when I'm seeing folks in these consults, it's a horrible situation sometimes um, out in the hospital. And we say, what did they tell you they wanted? Oh, mm-hmm. we don't have a living will, an advanced directive, a health care, all of these things you can call it. And we can get into that some more later. But. I hear them say things like, we never did that. Mm -hmm. I just remember they told me once. Or another interesting conversation I have, people don't even know they've had these advanced care planning conversations. And one of my... um, one of my most interesting uh, things I hear is when folks say, we don't know. I have no idea what they wanted. They never told me. And I say, can you think back to a time when you were in the hospital looking at someone else and they said, man, I don't ever want that to happen to me. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. Yeah, all the time. That's an advanced care planning discussion. And we don't give ourselves and our family credit for that, that when we're having that, just sit down and say, hey, by the way, if I'm ever in that situation, no thanks, because this is the part I don't like, or Mm -hmm. this is the part that I wish somebody would have asked me. Um, So I love that concept of a conversation being the single most important thing and arguably the documentation being the next most important thing. Mm -hmm. Very true. Um, You had mentioned 18 years and up. So when I was 18, my priorities and were probably very different than what they are now. Once, they, once someone has that document, can it be changed? Absolutely. So okay. that's the whole point is that your, your choices do change over time, as does your health care and everything. So the nice thing is that you can do a document, change your mind, revoke and expire that document, and do a new one. Okay. So as your, as your choices change, or even if you just change your mind simply about any of the choices, you can then complete a new document. Okay. And is the document called advanced directive? Let's, let's define that. So, yes, an advanced directive for healthcare. it combined two different documents before that were separate. So one was the durable power of attorney for health care, and that's the person that can speak for you if you can't speak for yourself. So it's just for health care choices. It's not the durable power of attorney for financial Okay. situations. So for healthcare choices, that now becomes a healthcare agent or a healthcare surrogate or some places call it a healthcare proxy. That's that person that speaks for you. The advanced directive also combines having what used to be called a living will. And those are actual treatment preference choices. That gets into the discussion of, just like Dr. Pickett was mentioning, what would you want? What would you not want? Oh, I saw someone go through this and I would not want that that would not be quality of life to me. Whereas, you know, someone else can say, oh, I saw that this person had such a good death, you know, and they'll go, yeah. I, I want that. Hmm. And so how do we, you know, also help them have those choices and have someone that can advocate for those things. It also helps um, demystify a lot of things that are available to people that people don't realize in that treatment preference section, because, it brings in things like letting us, you know, clarify what is palliative care, what is hospice care. There's so many negative myths around things like that, mm-hmm. that it lets us start a conversation earlier that helps people know what some of those choices are. What are some of those negative myths that, that you're referencing? Let's touch on that. Those are also things that I hear every day. Um, so when I come in, hey, I'm Dr. Pickett. I work with palliative medicine. Um, there are some people who will physically put their hands up and say, we don't want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And 
usually they're thinking palliative medicine means hospice care. And even further than that, a myth on top of a myth is they think that hospice care comes to end their life, which we know in the true medical sense, this is euthanasia. And we Mm -hmm. don't do that here. That's not what hospice care is. So sometimes um, I'll my patients say it better than I do half the time. And so today I had a, a patient's um, significant other who said to me, I don't want to do anything to hurry them out of this world. I just mm-hmm. want them to be comfortable until God takes them home. And that's her her cultural perspective on things. And then she said, I don't know about host- hostage is actually what she called it. I don't know about <laughs> hostage, but I just want them to be comfortable. And I mm-hmm. said, oh, my goodness, you've got it. You've nailed it. That's exactly what hospice is. It's just taking care of folks with whatever time that they have left. Um, and focusing on that comfort. Palliative medicine is a little bit before that. And some people say, oh, it's pre-hospice. Well, careful with that slippery language. But but what I would say is that palliative is a handholder for all the other care you're getting. If you have to go see a heart doctor, you don't say, oh, too bad, so sad to all my other doctors. I just go see a cardiologist now. Mm-hmm. No, that's not how palliative works either. We come and help alongside the other folks that are taking care of you. So palliative means comforting, means I can help with shortness of breath. Can I make that cancer in your lungs go away? No, I can't. Oncology may be able to help with that. But I can help you feel better while you're working with oncology to do those things. So we're actually a helper. And for some folks, they can keep doing that disease-directed treatment or that doing things to try to heal themselves. They can keep doing that longer because they felt better and they could power through. And so Mm -hmm. we're really, really proud of that. That's awesome. Let's talk about the process, though. Like, how does this whole process start with an advanced directive? Does that conversation happen with you when they're typically the loved one is in the hospital? Or Well, what we're actually trying to do is actually really introduce this upstream to say, really, start talking about this long before then. Right. I mean, it's a great conversation just to have at holidays, at family gatherings, oh. because it becomes something that you- is a that is a positive <laughs> that we're trying to turn to a positive because it's had some of the negative myths. And so what we do is we see it as when someone's in the hospital, yes, we can come and talk to them. But a lot of times we find so many people that say we wish we had started this conversation sooner mm-hmm. because one of the things that's essential to do an advanced directive is that you have to be of sound mind. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so when you have people that are in situations with dementia and Alzheimer's, we often find families that say we wish we had had this conversation sooner. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if we can normalize a conversation about death earlier, then we're giving people the benefit of having this conversation. Mm. Yeah. Libby, when you said, you know, have it at around the holidays, something that I used to do with my students would be to give them the advanced directive and encourage them to be right before Thanksgiving break. And there were a number of parents who contacted me afterward. And I thought, you know, at first I was like, you know, are they angry? But no, they were really happy that the conversation began. And as you... Also, as you were talking, I couldn't help but to think about the um, one of the episodes of This Is Us. And in that episode, Rebecca, you know, voiced her thoughts and everyone was present. And it kept coming back to what was said and the importance of that conversation and everyone being clear and on the same page. Because sometimes when I come into the equation, when clinical ethics is, uh, comes into the equation, it's when there is confusion about what is the end goal or what are the goals of the patient? Uh, because sometimes, as you mentioned, that conversation's not being had. 
And there is sometimes confusion about the treatment plan, like, okay, well, what are we what do we want to do? Mm-hmm. And so I come in as a third party to help reset that communication and to give everyone an opportunity to put the patient and their goals and their wishes at the center of the conversation. That's that's awesome. Go ahead. One of the other things, um, too, Helen, I know you and I work together on quite frequently is that first part of the advanced directive that says, who will be my decision maker? Because, yeah, there's treatment preferences there. What happens if this, this or this? Well, we know there are more than three possibilities that can land you in the hospital. And so I tell folks, yeah, I want to know your thoughts on these situations, Mm -hmm. but you're really guiding this person that you choose Mm -hmm. to be the decision maker. And so, um, Helen, would you mind just kind of running through that concept of legal next of kin and how sometimes that's not always what folks would want? as their decision maker and how that plays in. Yes. And something that I would encourage with my uh, students, because, you know, they were close to the age of 18, I would ask, okay, well, who's married? And, you know, there will be maybe one or two students who would raise their hand. And so I would say, okay, for those of you who are not married, your parents would be the ones to make the decision. Now, before that, you know, if they don't have the advanced directive or they don't have any other documentation indicating, you know, that someone can make those decisions, then it would go on spouse, it would go to adult children, and in different states, uh, some of that can get a little, you know, as far as who takes higher priority, uh, can get a little uh, complicated. Um, for instance, living in North Carolina, you had, say, my parents and my adult children would be on the same line as being a decision maker. And in other states that can be split. I've seen it split. And in some states, again, they're on the same line. Where it becomes helpful in having the conversation about who you want your person to be, especially if there's kind of a split decision, you know, like, you know, my two parents and say I have two adult children, we're kind of left wondering, you know, like, okay, well, who knows her best? And trying to get all of that information out can sometimes bring in a lot of different issues because unfortunately a patient is not just presenting with their illness they're presenting with all of the social context that comes into the Mm -hmm. equation too so again where whereas you know if you don't have any documentation there is you know the legal next of kin but it's better it's best if you do have someone that can speak directly to what you need Mm -hmm. or what you would want. I like also too, Libby, what you always tell folks like this is voluntary. This is not, you don't have to do this to be allowed to leave the hospital. (laughs) You don't have to do this for EMS to come and get you. So, so it's all voluntary. And one of the conversations I have kind of mirroring these two sides of things together is I'll often tell folks, Hey, I'm here with an advanced directive. If you'd like to do one of those here in the hospital, I'm happy to help you. No, I don't need one of that. No, thank you. Of course Mm -hmm. we're out here in Georgia. So we know we've got a lot of vigor and a lot of, we don't, we don't always feel like we need the help of other folks. And, um, and I'm that way too. Um, but they'll say, I don't need that. I don't want to fill out that advanced directive. Mm -hmm. My best friend, and we'll give an arbitrary name. My best friend, Bobby Joe knows what to do. And we say, okay, well, just so that you know, your legal next of kin is your decision maker. Mm-hmm. So your adult child, Timmy, is going to be the one that makes your decisions. And I'll spare some of the colorful language they'll give me. Uh-uh, Timmy's not making any decisions. Hey, that's beautiful. Here's what I'm telling you. It Legally, it, it is, is yes. Timmy. 
Yes. You have the opportunity here to change that if you want to. And it's shocking how many people say, hey, no, I need a pen that writes better than this because we're fixing to fill this this document out right now. And I, I think that um, sometimes, and, and this is a word of caution for everybody, sometimes when somebody offers you something that's a voluntary thing doesn't mean it's not important and doesn't mean yes. it may not be a huge deal to you. Um, so I, I love thinking of that when people say, no, I don't need it. And they say, okay, just so you know, this is the person that makes decisions for you. Are you cool with that? And when they say no, then all of a sudden the conversation is different. Now they want to do it again. Yeah. And Helen, you touched on something really that was interesting to me about, you know, holidays. We're all mm-hmm. gathered there with our family. You guys are experts. You're super comfortable talking about this stuff. I, for one, am not. How the heck would I bring that up? Like, pass the, pass the potatoes. I, I want to tell you what I want at the end of my life. I mean, can I have some tips? Because I, that's going to go horribly wrong in my family. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> you can begin, you know, like, okay, not between, you know, I guess the mashed potatoes and the cranberry sauce. <laughs> right, right. Um, it's more of an appetizer conversation. Yeah, maybe. It, it is, it is. I mean, because I, I, my father, he loves deep frying his turkey so you know that may be a time like okay you're about to do something dangerous you know (laughs) (laughs) typically maybe at the end of the meal or you know beginning you know like as people are coming in really just you can start with something um relating and you know kind of like popular culture like i said the episode of this is us yeah um usually you know like oh did you see that episode like oh yeah and it was great and then okay and then from that if you were in that situation, what would you want? Um, or, you know, mom, who do you want to make decisions for you? Just really trying to find, um, I guess this is part of my teaching philosophy too, is meeting people where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, because like with my father, it was a tough conversation. You know, he didn't want to talk about that bleep. And <laughs> yeah, and he was like, you know. And so what he did was... Uh, very confusing because he taped he recorded himself Um, and so finding a cassette player (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) this wasn't in 1995 (laughs) I mean it it was this was it wasn't that long ago but that's how he wanted yeah to uh, take place but you're going to have to meet your relatives where they are and then some of that will also be being vulnerable yourself Mm mm-hmm and sharing, okay, I've had this conversation. I want to, you know, tell you what I would want um, because with my situation, I'm not married. So, depending on my my parents to make a decision. So, right. I've been very vocal about what I do and do not want, but I need to go that additional step, especially being in a new state, mm-hmm. <laughs> and put it in writing mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter because we all know that when when it hits the fan, <laughs> yes, <laughs> all the plans and everything goes out of the window. Right. People's emotions come into play. And, you know, I could just hear, you know, my mom saying, you know, well, she, she's a fighter uh, to a point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you can you can let me go. Uh, but I, I just think that a lot of it, you know, as far as beginning the conversation, I would recommend that people be vulnerable with themselves sharing that experience with their family, maybe anchoring something from popular culture, um, an interview, a scene from a movie, something to get an idea and just kind of starting planting those seeds. So that way, eventually, 
when it's time, you can kind of reap the harvest of that conversation. That's awesome. That's, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, that's one of the things, though, that I love that you said, that it's planting a seed. The biggest thing we tell people is this is not a one and done conversation. This is something that you plant a seed. You put the idea out there. And some people aren't ready, like Helen mentioned, meeting them where they are. Some people can't start with this conversation and really go all the way through with it because you're talking about things that maybe you fear mm-hmm. or experiences that you've had with your own family members there's things that that take time so it really is a planting a seed conversation and starting in it can be something as simple as bringing in a popular cultural thing or just something about choices thanksgiving I love stuffing. My son hates stuffing. That's your choice. You're allowed to hate stuffing. And I can think your choice is wrong. But, you know, it's still coming in and saying, let me meet you where you are. Let's talk about how we can have different opinions on things. If you ever had to advocate for me having stuffing, you would have to act on me loving it. So Mm. I think there's different ways that you can introduce it. Mm -hmm. But you're introducing it, understanding that maybe it's going to take time. It could take months. It could take years. But that's where we get to go and change our minds. And this this conversation grows. If we never start with planting that seed, though, Mm -hmm. the conversation doesn't become more beneficial and grow over time. Mm -hmm. Your first conversation becomes at end of life. That's why the conversation gets to become something so much bigger and something so much more beautiful that people can act on that ends up being such a gift because we were willing to plant the seed and start that first step. That is amazing because, you know, I'll be fully transparent. I've worked in healthcare for over 20 years. I've never thought about what I want. I'm I'm in great shape. I'm healthy. I'm young. I never thought about it. So I have to plant that seed and I have mm-hmm. to start thinking about it. And I don't even I have no idea. And that in itself can be a conversation starter, too. Yeah. I love that Helen was saying you have to have some introspective thing there. How many times have you talked to your parents about something and they're like, I don't know. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Or as right. a patient said to me this morning, and I quote, talk to my daughter. She's the boss. Mm-hmm. I'd like to take a nap. Okay, that's right. fine. But but another thing, I was thinking of, you know, kind of everyday phrases that we hear. And if we're, mm-hmm. we're using this scenario of dinner, um, you know, we talked about that concept of the, not necessarily gossip, but the news of somebody being sick. And what about mm-hmm. this? And what do you think about that? Sure, that's one way to attack it. But who sitting at this table, whether we're from the north or the south or the east or the west, has heard somebody say, well, the doctor doesn't say I should be eating this, but you know what? If it kills me, it kills me. Right. Mm-hmm. That's your end. Mm-hmm. Hey, we, we may come back to that man, which I've said to my own father, hey, we're going to be coming back to that, just so you know. <laughs> just so you know, this is a topic for after dinner. That's that's a great segue, yeah, especially over holiday food, because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm Italian. Some of the mm-hmm. stuffing we make, <laughs> it will kill you eventually. Um Let's talk a little bit about some of those reactions as as folks in your role that you get from patients when these conversations come up. What I would say that for me, when I'm trying to move this conversation upstream, even with people in the community, I, f- I find two kinds of people that I meet with. I meet with families that say, wow, we had this great conversation and it was so beneficial to us because we were able to walk the path that he set. We were, do- we were following his wishes. And then I deal with people that say, I need to do this with my family because my family didn't and we had a lot of distress and I still don't talk to my sister because we disagreed over mm-hmm. a feeding tube oh, for mom. That's so sad. And so we're, we're all going to lose someone and go through the grief and loss of, th- of death, but the path that you walk through to it um, either ends up having distress for family or peace for family. That's okay. the, a lot of the reactions I get. I think, um, you know, and, and the 
it's almost like this doesn't make the headlines. The family that says, yeah, we did talk about it. Mm -hmm. I had one yesterday that said, no, this is not shocking. And I was like, oh my gosh, this was a new diagnosis. Like, did you see this coming? Like you Mm -hmm. are cool as a cucumber. And they said, no, but we knew, we knew something would happen. Mm -hmm. And so we've talked about this our entire lives. What would we do when? And so those families have such peace, but often we hear folks say, oh, it's not time for that. And Mm -hmm. I'm fine. They say from the hospital bed, I'm fine. We don't need to talk about this. Or, their families are saying, and this is the most tragic of all, I think their families are saying, we didn't do this and we should have. Mm-hmm. We were shocked because we didn't realize this was going to happen. And um, another thing that we see sometimes, too, is people say, I've done that already. I've done that already. No one signed it. Mm-hmm. No one witnessed it and mm-hmm. those things. And so it's actually not a valid document at that point. But the conversations are still valid. So mm-hmm. maybe you said, I want my best friend to be my decision maker. And these are all the things I want. And it was never signed. Well, legally, maybe that adult son or that spouse is still the legal next of kin. And so person that helped with the document that wasn't signed can come to them and say, yeah, but we had this conversation. Let mm-hmm. me share with you what we said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think that some of the things that I've heard are very similar to what Dr. Pick and what Libby has already discussed, so I don't feel like I'm adding anything new to it. Um, I do think that a lot of, to Libby's point, a lot of frustrations come out when the discussion is not had. And especially a lot of people, especially thinking about that legal next of kin hierarchy, people don't want to be the one to say stop. They don't want to be the one that has that burden. And that's why encouraging everyone to have that conversation is so important. It is such a gift uh, and it will definitely be beneficial. But I've, I've seen where people think that not making a decision is making a decision. Mm, good point. And the silence just it screams so loudly. And unfortunately, especially in situations where the patient is not able to say anything for themselves, uh, the patient is left to suffer. Right. That's, yeah, avoiding that is key. So before we wrap this up, tell everyone where they can get an advanced directive. How do they get access to this information to get that started? Every state has an advanced directive, and so if they just Google their state's advanced directive for healthcare, they will be able to pull that up. It's as easy as that. It is. And it's free? It is free. And you don't need a lawyer? You do not. Look at that. All right. What a bargain. What a bargain. Exactly. Thanks, ladies. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and please join us next time for the next Health Perspectives podcast. Take care. Take care.